South Wilmington Street in the wonderful city of Raleigh, North Carolina, 27601. And lastly, lastly tonight, there's staff at the headquarters waiting for your phone call. Maybe you want to call and, and make the, the payment over the phone, or maybe you just want to make a pledge on tonight. If you're led to make a pledge on tonight, call the Baptist headquarters, 919-821-7466. 919-821-7466, and we would be honored to receive your payment tonight or to receive your pledge of what you want to give to the Lord. Well, one of my great brothers, uh, Reverend Dr. John Fuller, always said, if you sit high, you must pay high. And so I want to extend a challenge to every pastor that is out there, senior pastor, assistant pastor. Uh, if you got pastor in your title, I want to challenge you tonight, as my mentor John Fuller would say, uh, meet me. I'm, I'm challenging you as we would if we were face to face. You know, every year we would, we would have this challenge where all pastors were asked to give $100. And I want you to meet me in that area of giving on tonight. So consider yourself duly challenged, amen, as we render our offering to the Lord. Thank you so much for listening, and let's have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we blessedly applaud you, God, for what you've done through your servants. We thank you for the title charge of Matthew 25, that inasmuch as we've done it to them, the least of them, we have done it also unto you. Father, let that be our mantra tonight for our giving that you will now condition our heart to give liberally, Lord, to give freely, Heavenly Father. And we know, Lord, the seed that leaves my hand will never leave my life, but it goes before me into my future to make provision for my tomorrow. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening, General Baptist State Convention family. I have the wonderful and distinct privilege of presenting our president for this evening. And what a joy it is for me to make this presentation for our friendship goes all the way back to the fall of 1991 when I was a first-year student at Duke University Divinity School and our president was the featured speaker for the Gardner C. Taylor Lecture Series. And I had the wonderful opportunity then to meet him and, of course, forge a relationship that has spanned across the chasm of the years. He is none other than the Reverend Dr. Leonzo Daniel Lynch, the proud pastor of the Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church here in Charlotte, North Carolina, a fifth-generation preacher. He comes from a long lineage of prophet priests and proclaimers who aren't afraid to share the uncompromised and unadulterated word of God. I have been blessed to sit at his feet and listen to him share 
the unsearchable riches of the gospel over the years. And I have also definitely been impressed with his pastoral proficiency as well as his preaching prowess. He is a lettered preacher, one who takes scholarship seriously, a graduate of the University of North Carolina Greensboro, Duke University Divinity School, where he earned a Master of Divinity degree, and then as a Harold A. Carter, William Augustus Jones Fellow at United Theological Seminary, where he earned a Doctor of Ministry degree. At this time, as our president prepares to come after we have a selection from his fine singing ensemble of the Ebenezer Church, I ask that you not sit in your tent in judgment, but in prayerful anticipation of the address and the preaching that our president will bring to help us have clarity and insight as far as these pandemic times are concerned. Is there a word from Lord? Yes, there is. In the person and personality of our president, Dr. Leonzo D. Lynch. Pray for him, pray with him, that the Lord will use him in a mighty, magnanimous, and magnificent way.
Amen, amen. Thank God and thank you for the, to the members here of this Ebenezer Ensemble. Greetings to my Baptist family as we gather tonight toward the close of this 153rd annual session. We're thankful that God has allowed us to live to see this and to come together in this virtual format even during this pandemic. To my wife, Nicole, to our Vice President at Large, Dr. Ricky Banks, First Vice President, Dr. J. Vincent Terry, Third, Second Vice, Dr. O.D. Sykes, Third Vice, Dr. Prince Rivers, Fourth Vice, Dr. Reginald Wells, to our Executive Secretary Treasurer, Dr. Tony Barr, our Assistant Executive Secretary Treasurer, Reverend Quan Stewart, to this great host pastor, Dr. Robert Charles Scott, the beautiful members, the welcoming members of the St. Paul Baptist Church family here in Charlotte, to all of our auxiliary presidents, President LeMay, President Bell, President Hagens, President Weary, President Johnson, to a chairman of our late night, Dr. Frank Thomas, our vice chair, Reverend Torian Walston, chairman of our Evangelism Commission, Reverend Quintrell Burrell, chairman of our Technology Commission, Dr. Stackhouse, to all of our former presidents, to our interim executive secretary, treasurer of the Women's Convention, Dr. Linda Bryan, our music coordinator, Dr. Cornelis, our very efficient office staff at the headquarters in Raleigh, to all of our board members, moderators, Ebenezer at Charlotte, to my newly elected moderator, Dr. Betty Irvin. We thank God for you and your presence tonight. To all of my brothers and sisters, we say good evening. I want to thank my longtime friend and brother, Dr. Scott, for that very kind introduction. This has been a great annual session. Dr. Gina Stewart of Memphis, Tennessee, Dr. John Adolph of Beaumont, Texas, as well as our workshop presenters and others, special, special thanks to the technology team and technology commission and the technology team and media ministry here at St. Paul Baptist Church. They're up in the balcony and we thank God to you, for you and for your sacrifice of time to make sure things went so very, very well. Tonight, I want to move into the Old Testament. We call our attention to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying. They were calling to one another, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe is me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I want to talk tonight simply from the subject, who will go for us? Who will go for us? Is there anybody willing to admit that you're still afraid of the dark? Don't raise your hand. Darkness has been a threat since we were born. The purpose of the nightlight was invented for the children so that the children won't be afraid to go to sleep. It'll be just a little light to let them know that things are okay. Now, there are adults that use night lights also. That's so we don't trip and fall and break something in the middle of the night. Life has dark moments, dark days. Darkness is not measured by the presence of the sun in the sky. It can be high noon on a bright sunny day and still be dark in your life. Life has dark moments. We are facing right now the darkness of a pandemic. We are facing right now the darkness of racial tension. We are facing right now the darkness of police brutality, murder without prosecution. We're facing now the darkness of economic crisis, prison crisis. We're facing the darkness in our educational system, children who are already challenged without proper means for learning with technology and now facing homeschooling in which technology must be in place but many students cannot afford it and many live in areas in which Wi-Fi is not accessible. We're facing darkness in our health system. Health insurance is at all-time high and we are facing the possibility, depending on the vote next week, where 20 million persons may lose their health coverage if our politicians vote a certain way. Isaiah got hit by darkness. What did Isaiah do when he was hit with darkness? He made his way to the house of God. He came to worship. You see, darkness is not the time to return to our days of yesterday. Darkness is the time to draw closer to God. The king was dead. Not just the king, his cousin. Isaiah was dead. Now, scripture says he brought it on himself. He had been a good king. His name means Jehovah is my strength. He was king since he was six years old, ruled over Judah almost half a century. He had been a good king, built up the army, built up the military reserves, 
built up the food reserves. The morale of the nation was high, built up the economy. People were earning good livings and making good wages. Times were high when he was on the throne. But Uzziah got confused over his role as king and his relationship with God. Scripture tells us in 2 Chronicles 26, 16 through 20, read it when you get to the house, that the priest was going too slow in worship one day. The king decided, I'll offer my own sacrifice. I'm the king. I can do what I want to do. I can do when I want to do. I can do how I want to do. He got confused in thinking since he was a big shot downtown that made him a big shot when he came in the house of God. Side point. Some of us get confused like that, thinking because of our role in society and our resume and the plaque on our door that gives us certain rights when we come to the house of God. But always be clear, in God's house, there are no big shots and there are no little shots. They're just shots. Uzziah missed the Levitical law. Only the priest on duty could enter the Holy of Holies. Scripture says that when Uzziah stepped in the Holy of Holies, just as the law said, he broke out in leprosy. Leprosy, the most dreaded disease in all of the Bible. Leprosy is when you are sick and can't get well. Open wounds, open sores that won't heal. Pain racking your body. You lose fingers, you lose limb. It's sort of like this when you dry rot from the inside very contagious and you had to be quarantined because there was no cure and the only escape was death. While he was quarantined, corruption hit. Things went down fast. And by the time of his death, the nation was in his darkest time. Darkness had covered over the nation and darkness had covered over Isaiah's life. So Isaiah testifies here of his calling into the prophecy, not with the year. He does not say in 597 BC. He says simply this, in the year that King Uzziah died. Not perhaps the first time Isaiah had been to the temple, but scripture tells us the first time he had seen God. You see, you can come to God's house and still not see him. But the temple encounter changed his life forever. He saw worship for real. He saw worship done right. He saw worship pure and simple. The seraphim singing in worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's watching all of this take place. The seraphim flew over to the altar, took the tongs and took a piece of live coal, a live fire, came and touched his lips. And then 
it happened. God spoke, changed his life forever. God spoke, his soul shook. God spoke, his mind realigned. God spoke, his understanding was achieved. God spoke, his vision got clear on himself and the world. God spoke, his life would never be the same. God spoke, his hearing cleared up. God spoke, he heard God speaking, whom shall I send and who will go for us? It's 2020, October, Isaiah is dead. And Isaiah is dead too. But the world is waiting on the church. Help is needed. Hope is needed. Strength is needed. Courage is needed. Somebody must go. The world is waiting on the church. It's 2020, October. Can I tell you where we are? We in trouble. It's 2020. In the year, police brutality is on the rise like never before. On the website, mapping police violence. In 2015, police killed 1,152 people. In 2016, police killed 862 people. In 2017, 1,147 people. In 2018, 992 people. In 2019, 1,004 people. In 2019, there were only 27 days in the year where police did not kill someone. In 2020, in the first eight months, already 164 blacks have been killed by police. Can I tell you where we are? We in trouble. In the year, the city of Greensboro has issued an apology. 41 years after the Greensboro massacre that took place on November 3rd, 1979, in which the Ku Klux Klan in a march killed five protesters, the city came and issued an apology admitting the police knew of the impending attack and did nothing about it. Can I tell you where we are? We in trouble. In the year where black lives matter and where black voices matter, now more than ever, it is reported in the October-November issue of AARP magazine, pages 36 through 39, in the article, Black Voices Matter, Kim Gallon lifts this reminder. She notes from the moment the first abducted Africans found themselves enslaved and oppressed on America's shores, freedom became their singular ambition. They demanded freedom from bondage, rape, beatings, family separations, freedom from lynching, political disenfranchisement, segregation, redlining, police brutality, and discrimination. Recently, over the summer in this year, 
the nation where wide protests have been spurred by the killing of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and countless others. Protests lifted and are lifting all over the world gave renewed urgency to these calls. Yet our own history has shown our black thinkers and our black activists have been critical and have been at work. Black voices still matter. We must still hear the voice of Ella Baker, civil rights activist in 1964, who declared until the killing of black men, black mother's sons become as important to the rest of the country as the killing of a white mother's son, we who believe in freedom can never rest. We must hear the voice of Sherilyn Eiffel, the president of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, who said in this year, Every police killing of unarmed black men and women or child damages our country. These killings are tragedy for families, but they also stain our very nation's soul. We must still hear the voice. W.E.B. Du Bois, sociologist, historian, and activist, who said in 1897, it is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of other. One ever feels his two-ness, an American and a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two warring ideals in one dark body. We must hear the words of Daisy Bates, a civil rights activist, the president of the Arkansas NAACP, in 1963, we will kneel in, we will sit in until we cannot in any corner of these United States. We will walk until we can take our children to any school in the United States. And we will lie in until every Negro in America can vote. We must hear the words of James Brown in 1968, say it loud, I'm black, and I'm proud. We must hear the words of Muhammad Ali in 1975. I am America. Only I'm the part you won't recognize. But get used to me. Black, confident, cocky. My name, not yours. My goals, not yours. Get used to me. We must hear the voice of Frederick Douglass slave, abolitionist, author, activist. I am for the immediate, unconditional, universal enfranchisement of the black man in every state of the union. Without this, his liberty is a mockery. Without this, you might as well return the old name of slavery to our condition. We must hear the words of Eric Holder, former U.S. Attorney General of these United States in 2020. The struggle continues. After the 15th Amendment recognized the African-American right to vote in 1870, some states responded by using violent intimidation, poll taxes, and literacy tests as barriers to voting. Today, these laws have mutated 
into voter suppression efforts that target low-income and minority communities with disheartening effectiveness. I fight for the real enfranchisement of black people. In the year where evil continues to raise in deep systematic rays, it is reported in the Christian Century, October 21st, 2020 edition on page 18, that an Episcopal priest volunteering at an immigration and customs enforcement detention center in Osceola, Georgia, confirmed allegations of medical evil and neglect that a high rate of hysterectomies are being performed at an alarming rate, noting that most women going for any gynecological treatment were given this procedure that they did not need without their consent and without their full understanding. This raises moral and ethical concerns and builds upon the history of forced sterilization of people of color and incarcerated people. Can I tell you where we are? We're in trouble. In the year where Black Lives Matter protests are moving with steadfast speed to expect, infect change in this nation, it is reported by the Southern Poverty Law Center report, fall of 2020, the article there on page three, that in the wake of the murder of nine persons in Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, the Southern Poverty Law Center has intensified efforts and lawsuits that have moved or relocated 135 Confederate symbols as of September the 1st, 2020. Following the murder of George Floyd, a total of 76 Confederate symbols were taken down. In July 2020, the Pentagon issued a new policy that rejects any display of divisive symbols. In a separate article in the same report, it was reported that four minority women led a movement that challenged the school board in Montgomery, Alabama. And at the end of a three-hour school board meeting and debate, the school board voted to rename the schools that were named after Confederate leaders. They renamed the school that was named after Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, and Sidney Lanier. In the year that hate crimes have expanded to recognize the impact upon our disabled, it reported again in the intelligence report published by the Southern Poverty Law Center, the fall 2018 issue, pages 23 through 30, in an article on the invisible hate crime, violence against people with disability is more widespread than we think. Deborah McKinney notes in the article, people with disabilities are two and a half times more likely to experience violence than those without disabilities. People with intellectual disabilities are seven times more likely to be sexually assaulted and raped within these institutions that are supposed to care and protect them than those without disabilities. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that George Floyd died, in the year that Breonna Taylor died, in the year that Ahmaud Armory died, the General Baptist State Convention of North Carolina convened for a 153rd annual session in that year. We must hear the voice of our God. Who shall I send? And who shall go for us? Where does God want us to go? To simply go, boldly go, where no man or woman has gone before to a positive future. But in order for the church to move into the future, we must make some major adjustments. First, he wants us to go and save souls. At the close of the day, no matter how large or how small the campus, no matter how large or how small the budget, no matter how large or small the sanctuary, no matter how large or small the educational building, every church is challenged by the Great Commission, our theme, serving the present age, to be a soul-saving station. That hadn't changed. And in the midst of our modern-day times, we've got to work on going back to the basics. Does it make a difference that your church and my church exist within our local community? If we close our doors today, would the community even know that we're gone? Soul-saving station. Our convention is making major strides and trying to lift evangelism in a modern-day world. You've seen announcements throughout this session, and they'll be on our website and other social media. We are having an evangelism virtual conference this year, November 16 and 17, 2020, led by our Evangelism Commission, Reverend Quintrell Burrell, Listen for more information. We're looking forward to Dr. Stephen Thurston of Chicago, Dr. Walter Scott Thomas of Baltimore to come and others and work with us. We must return to our charge that comes from Christ. Go ye into all the world. Baptize, preach, teach, baptize, preach, Teach, baptize, preach, and teach. Any church in which the baptismal pool is rusting is a church that's in trouble. We must go to the voting booth. In 1966, in a Supreme Court decision in which a case was presented 
The result of that case put forth the Miranda Law. It gave the victims, it gave those persons in contact with law enforcement some basic rights that we did not know or we were not privileged to before. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you can and say can and will be held against you. You have right to an attorney. Though that list of basic rights, and, and that's the thing about, we've got to be careful how we listen to the presentation of this from Hollywood. Hollywood makes it seem on these law enforcement shows that it is an imposition upon the law enforcement to give us our rights. But I need us not to ever forget how many of our black men, black women, black boys, black girls were entangled in the law and kidnapped and held hostage for years. We've got to be careful how we listen because there comes a time in which there are certain politicians who will say we need to return to the days in which America was great when we had chain gangs. I need you to understand the chain gang. There was a time in this land in which there was something called vagrancy laws. You couldn't be in town without money. So what would happen is you'd go to town. The sheriff would stop you to see if you had any money. Then the sheriff would take your money and then arrest you for being in town without having any money. Lock you up, never inform you of your rights, never inform you of what you were charged with, never tell you what you were in jail for, how long or how much it cost to bail yourself out. You stay there until he decided to let somebody know from a work farm somewhere and they would come and take you and put you to work on the work farm. And then to keep you from escaping, they would chain you together because you were in essence being kidnapped and held hostage by the law enforcement that was supposed to be protecting you. The Miranda law was passed to help us learn our rights. Well, there's another set of rights. Our forefathers, our foremothers marched bled and died so we would have the right to vote. We would have the right to participate in the electoral process in this nation. Where must we go? We must go to the voting booth. I know, I know you're tired of hearing all the commercials about who's running for what. I know, I know you're tired of hearing all the voter appeals coming your way. But this is the most drastic election of our lifetime. This is the election that will turn, determine how the rest of this century is lived out by minorities and others in this nation. We must go to the voting booth. If you haven't voted early, I need you to vote early before this week is over. And then call everybody you know in your contact list, in your phone. Have you voted? Do you need a ride to the polls? When are you going to go? And then call them back and see, did you go vote? Because it will make the difference. Now, now it's not up for the church. 
to tell you who to vote for. That's between you and the Holy Ghost. But we need you to vote because our souls and this nation depend on it. Where shall we go? We must go back to the soul-saving stations. Where shall we go? We must go to the voting booth. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? But third, that we must leave and go to rebuild our churches after this pandemic. In March 2020, the pandemic hit in ways that nobody could dream of. But here's what happened. All of the change that was waiting on the church in the next three, five, seven, and ten years, all of that change showed up in March of this year. There were churches that had no plan of how to communicate unless we came into a building. There were churches that did not believe they needed to invest any money in any technology. There were churches that said, oh, we don't need all that stuff. We just a church. There were churches who declared, I'm not going to bother with all that. That stuff is of the devil. But here what we found out that the church was never the building. The church, the people of God, and for the church to remain strong, we had to learn afresh how to connect in a pandemic with the people of God. Well, here's the problem. Things are not going back to normal and in reality that's good because let's say it out loud normal wasn't working amen amen there are a few books I want to recommend tonight for your study I don't have time to quote from all of the books I don't but I need to hear some homework for you I need you to get these and read them. To understand what we're facing, I need you to secure a copy of the New York Times 1619 Project. The New York Times put this out, I think it's been a year or two now. You can Google it and find it online. It helps us to understand what we have gone through since we landed in this nation in 1619 with chains on our neck, chains on our feet, and chains on our minds. To help us understand how this nation has gone through a systematic purpose, plan of how to keep the blacks and keep those who were brought as slaves as half-class citizens. The New York Times Project, written by the scholars of this nation lay out why we have a health care crisis, why we still have redlining in certain cities where real estate persons still won't show certain minorities 
all of the vacant houses in the city, but they keep them on certain sides of the city. It outlines how and why our highways divide the races in our city. It used to be divided by the railroad track, but then highways came, and now our cities are divided by the highways. The articles are in there that talk about, in Atlanta, for example, how the martyr train system only goes to certain areas of that county, but will never, according to those in charge, go to certain affluent places because it would allow too many minorities to show up in those places. We need to learn what we're up against. But then I need you to get another book. The Five Star Church. Written by Stan Toler, T-O-L-E-R, just a few years ago. He takes a simple concept to say this. That as we look at hotels, there are different star ratings. One star, two star, three, four, five star. And when we look at the differences in hotels, those with five stars say and declare that there's a certain level of amenities and excellence in that location. But Tola says simply this, if Conrad Hilton can do it for profit, why is it the church can't do it for our God? When we look at our churches going forth in this modern day time and after this pandemic subsides, we must do a full re-evaluation of everything we do, every dollar we spend. We need to be able to go in the scriptures and find the existence for every gathering, group, ministry, board, and committee that we have in our churches. Because if we aren't careful, we'll stay drifting. We'll stay as a social club. We'll stay as a group of friends just hanging out on Sunday and never get to the purpose and power of the Great Commission. So the five-star church will help you to see what are the questions of evaluation that have to be placed upon every ministry, every auxiliary group, club, board, and committee in our churches. Why do they exist? When were they organized? What were they organized for? Is it still relevant? Is it still needed to exist in our church? Why do we spend so much money on this and not more money on our education, on our youth, on our evangelism, on our seniors? The five-star church will lay out for us how to do an honest evaluation. Now, now, here's a problem that's going to come when you start reading materials like this. You're going to be challenged to deal with the issue of change. And change for some is a bad word. But in this book, Dr. Stan Toller has a saying. He says in this book, and I quote it all the time as I preach and teach around the nation, the only people glad to see change come are wet babies. The five-star church. 
buy a case of them for your church. Pass them out to your members. Read it as a church. Study it in Bible study and other gatherings. And do an honest assessment because some of the things that we're holding on to and many of the things we're fighting over have nothing to do with our soul's salvation, have nothing to do with any spiritual growth or issue. Many of our traditions now, now don't get upset because I'm one of the most traditional pastors you're going to come across in this nation. Dr. Scott can tell you, Dr. Washington, Dr. Barr and others can tell you I'm as traditional as they come. But what I look at is this. Why does the tradition even exist? And we have to ask the question in an honest way. Is it still relevant in 2020, 21, and going forward? The third book I need you to get by Tom Rayner, The Post-Quarantine Church. He wrote this a few months ago. He started working on this when the pandemic hit in March. And they started having workshops with churches around the country virtually and dealing with the questions at hand. You see, the issue was already coming for change. Change was already on the horizon. It just showed up before most of us thought it would. But change is not going away. We are not witnessing a fad or trend. Fads last maybe three to five years, a trend between five and seven years. We're witnessing a paradigm shift. So we've got to ask ourselves the question as we're building our buildings and building our facilities, what is the best use of our money and what is the best use of our money in light of technology? I had friends across this country to tell me across the years, man, I don't believe you ought to do all that live stream and all that stuff on the internet. People are going to stop coming to church. If they can turn on the computer, they won't come to church. I don't have all that stuff. We raise our offerings. We walk around. We put it in the basket. The Lord said, bring your offerings. But it's 2020. It's a new way to bring called Givelify. It's a new way to bring called online giving. It's a new way to bring called text to give is a new way to bring. We've got to become relevant with our times because the church of Jesus Christ is being challenged like no other time before. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. God is still calling. So I close today with the what if section. What if the General Baptist Convention of North Carolina and our 1,600 and some churches decided to make a relevant, positive difference in every community that we exist in, in the 100 counties that stretch across this state? What if we decided to reach and reclaim lost generations of our youth and young adults that have walked away from church because it's not relevant in their lives but they know they need the gospel, but they can't come to church and hear clearly the gospel. What if we decided to make the church vibrant and relevant and fresh and powerful? What if we decided to make the church the center 
of the community once again? What if the church became the real outreach center to bring hope in darkness in this world? What if we decided to put down church politics and focus on saving souls? What if the church became a place where we could come to learn parenting skills in this new age? What if the church made a shift in our worship? I've talked to preachers across this nation during this pandemic, and they, some of my friends have been bragging, man, we've, had to, we've trimmed everything down now. We only have service for about an hour. I said, well, what were you doing before? Well, we were there for about two and a half, three hours. It's a new day. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. So I close now. Is there any hope? Uzziah is gone. Isaiah, he's gone too. Martin King is gone. Malcolm X is gone. Adam Clayton Powell, gone. Marcus Garvey, gone. W.B. Du Bois, gone. Sojourn the Truth, gone. Medgar Evers, gone. Mary McLeod Bethune, gone. Joseph Harrison Jackson, gone. T.J. Jemison, gone. Is there any hope? I had great likes of former President Barack Obama, Obama, but I liked him. But that's not where my hope was. In just a few days, next Tuesday, we'll make our way to the final day for voting. And I hope I got a candidate, I hope gets elected. But when they get elected, that's not my final hope. Our hope is still in our God. It was God that called Isaiah. It was God that moved in the temple that day. It was God that took the fire and touched his lips. It's God that's taken the same fire to touch our convention. It is God with the same fire to touch every local church. It is God with the same fire touching every local preacher, pastor, missionary, Sunday school teacher, and church worker. It is God that sustains. Is there any hope? Yes. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around
down, my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before thy throne. On Christ, on Christ, on Christ, not your money, not your resume, on Christ, not your title, not your position, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other ground, all other ground is sinking stand. On Christ, my doctor, on Christ, my lawyer, when the judge says I'm guilty, on Christ, my joy, on Christ, my peace, on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, all other ground, all other ground, on Christ, on Christ, on Christ, keeps me when I can't keep myself, on Christ, walks with me when my soul get lonely. On Christ, hears me when I pray. On Christ, rocks me to sleep in the midnight hour. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, all other ground, all other ground. My God, my God, my God. If you're watching us, just do me a favor right now. If that word blessed you, just can you put your hands together, send some hearts or thumbs up on your feed. Give God praise. Did not our president preach tonight and really gave us instruction as well as vision for the future? What a profound, prolific, prophetic word that has been given to us what a presidential address thank you mr president one thing that i want to do at this time is to connect you to that solid rock i want to lead you in a prayer of new life new south a new walk with god if you don't have that and if you're watching us right now because ultimately, we're called to make disciples. We're called to lead men, women, boys, and girls to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. We're told that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, we shall, not might, but shall 
be saved. And I want you to know tonight that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, if you confess him with your mouth that you want him to be your Lord and Savior, salvation is yours. But salvation is the entry point. It's not the end all. Then you need to connect with the church so you can grow in the sanctification that is really another word for discipleship so that you can become all that God has destined and purposed for you to be. And I would dare say that the churches of the General Baptist State Convention are Bible teaching, Bible practicing, Bible believing churches. And you can connect with one of our churches in whatever area you're located. Or there are some churches in our convention that are taking in people virtually. And so the paradigm has shifted. And you can be a part of that right now. So if you don't mind, let me lead you in a word of prayer. And if this call is placed upon your heart, your life, I'm going to ask that you would move upon it right now as the Spirit is giving you urging. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come tonight and we receive and seal this presidential address, this sermon, this vision. We pray right now that as we apply what we have heard to our hearts and our lives, that God, we cling to the solid rock that is none other than Jesus Christ. God, there may be some man, woman, boy, or girl that is watching this video or listening to us as far as telecommunication is concerned, who is saying right now, I want God to make a difference in my life. Lord, you can because you already have sent Jesus to die for our sins. And if that person believed that Jesus has died for his or her sins and that you raised him from the dead on the third day, salvation is theirs. They can't earn it. They can't pay for it. They can't go to church enough to get it. They can't read their Bible enough to obtain it. But by faith, it is a gift because of your grace. And so God, right now, I pray that your spirit will move upon their hearts. Forgive them of their sins. Help them become the person you have designed and destined and desire for them to be by instilling your Holy Spirit in them right now. And then, God, if you would, direct them to a church that will further their discipling. It is in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, we pray. And it is in his name we claim it done. Let every heart that truly believes Say amen. At this particular time, we will have closing remarks, and then we will have closing prayer, and the president will close us out as far as this annual session is concerned. 
And so if we could, let's put our hands together. Let's receive our president as he comes with his remarks. Thank you so much, Dr. Scott. To all the persons, again, who put in place this virtual session, we are indeed indebted. I did forget to mention we are here at the St. Paul Church in Charlotte, and we just have the people who own program, the music ministry. But the health ministry from St. Paul has been on duty, and the usher ministry has been on duty as well. I mentioned the media, but I want to thank our health and our usher ministry for what you have done. God bless you for your time and your sacrifice to be with us. I'm going to ask if my newly elected moderator, Dr. Betty Irvin, would come to lead us in our closing prayer. After she would have led us in prayer, I will return for the closing gavel of the 153rd annual session. Dr. Irvin, would you come? Let us bow in humble submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, our Lord, our Master and our God, we have come to the end of this 153rd virtual convention. And we thank you now, Lord, for what has been done, what has been heard, what has been received, what has been given. Oh God, you poured out your spirit upon all these, your vessels. And they have claimed the gospel on this side of heaven. And bid us to come unto the Lord with everything that we are and everything that we hold. Thank you, God, for your word that was manifested in us. To lead us and guide us in mission and in ministry. Thank you, O oh Lord, for the word spoken down into our hearts that we can be lifted up and realize we still have a God on our side. We still have a God that we have to serve God until we die. We still have a God that has lifted us up. Thank you, God, for leading us and guiding us, for your spirit falling afresh on us. Thank you, God, for the lives through the word that has been saved. Thank you, oh God, for the word that has been spoken, that has given us peace and joy and given us the excitement and the intellect to walk on this road until our feet get tired. Thank you, Lord, for the breath that you spoke down into our hearts, God. And as we leave this privilege, oh God, we ask that you guide us now from henceforth until forevermore that we will go back to our homes better energized. We will go back to our church better prepared to preach the word. We will go back in the communities and let the light of God shine all around us because in your word you said let your light so shine before men that they might see the good works and come on the Lord's side before it's everlasting too late. Oh God we give your honor. We give you praise and you can make your own glory because it is your glory God and for all that we have done this three days we pray oh God that you will receive the glory 
and nothing we have done will shame you but will glorify you. What we have done will not make people go away from you but come unto you because I believe God. What you said, whatever we've done, you will never leave us nor forsake us. So in this time, in this dark hour, in this time that we come upon with there, you have never left us alone and you never will. Thank you now. In the name that means the most and the only name that matters. Thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, God, that your blood shed for us and you never left us alone. How powerful is the blood of Jesus? Thank you. Thank you, oh Lord. In Jesus' precious name, let the church say amen. Amen and amen. Give glory to God. Yes. Just before we close with praise God from whom all blessings flow. I stand today to declare the 153rd annual session of the General Baptist Convention closed in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Let us join our voices together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. <laughs>